Good evening, everyone. Living Hope is a, is a powerful house, amen? I mean, living Hope is powerful. Like, I'm for real. Like, I came to Sunday service, and it was powerful. <laughs> I mean, even before the sermon, I mean, people were just coming forward. After the sermon, people coming forward, receiving prayer. And uh, just even the prophetic words, like there was this guy with a green shirt, and, and Pastor Benjamin got this prophetic vision of him with like knees and he was like do you have pain in your knees and the guy's like yeah yeah, yeah. The God's touching your knees right now he's healing you and and people were just getting set free there were uh, about three people that received Christ on Sunday man it was powerful it, even tonight you know as Pastor Sunny just grabbed the mic and just speaking out what she senses in the atmosphere you know not a lot of ministers are able to do that consistently but, man, every time I come here, I see Pastor Sonny pick up that mic. I'm not, I know it's going to be good. And when she picks up that mic, you better listen because she commands your attention. And as she was just speaking uh, forth uh, what she sensed in the atmosphere and inviting people up, yeah, that was powerful. You know, the, the book of Revelation does tell us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And we, oftentimes, we treat testimonies with contempt or we look down on testimonies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we think, ah, you know, yeah, you know, tell it once or twice. And, you know, <laughs> a couple people get blessed. No, that's, it's actually a weapon. Yeah. Our testimony is a weapon. Yeah. It is living proof that the Word of God is living and active. Yeah. Like, even testimonies of dead people is powerful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you read testimonies of people uh, 1,500 years ago and you get set free. You're like, man, what God did for that Scottish man, God can do for me. What God did for this, you know, overweight German guy and used him, raised him up to start a reformation, God can do through me. And and these testimonies have this power that the enemy feels very threatened by. And so if he can get you to be silent about your testimony or if he can get you to reframe your testimony. He knows that he has the upper hand, that he has, the, he has leverage in stopping the work of God, the move of God amongst our community and in our churches. And that's why it was so, so powerful what Pastor Sonny did. She just came up here and said, you know what? You know, these people are getting attacked, but it's not just about them personally. But Satan is attacking them because he's attacking the power of the testimony, the word of the testimony of this house. I mean, living hope Look, like, we see a lot of amazing testimonies at New Philly. But the ones at Living Hope, they're, like, at a whole nother level of, like, neat and coolness. It's just, like, so, like, we're, we're pretty supernatural. We have some supernatural testimonies. People get physical healing, things like that. But, man, like, testimonies that I hear from Living Hope, like, over and over and over again. You know, because New Philly in Korea, we're English ministry in Korea, we have a lot of young people but many of them are, like, college-educated, you know? They're, like, they're looking to be, like, lawyers, teachers, you know, you know like, they're proper, you know? They're, they're college-educated, you know? But here at Living Hope, it, it's, it's a different demographic. <laughs> now, now, look, <laughs> I don't mean that. Hold on, hold on. This is an affirmation. Hold on, hold on. This is an affirmation. 
Oh, settle down, settle down. Okay. Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> All right, I'm going to dig myself out of this hole, okay? <laughs> Give me a little time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, in, in this neighborhood in Oakland, now I can say this because I grew up in an urban environment. I grew up in inner city Philadelphia. Like, when I meet a lot of people, when I was going to school in New York, people would say, oh, I'm from Philly. I'd be like, oh, really? Are you from Philly too? Where are you from? What part of Philly? And then they'll say, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I'd be like, that's not Philly. <laughs> they'll say, you know, like, you know, Upper Darby. You know, they will say uh, North Penn, you know, all these suburb areas. And I'd be like, no, but I grew up in Philly. <laughs> you know, if you didn't grow up in Philly, you got to clarify because... It's a different experience when you grow up inside Philly. It's like growing up in Oakland and growing up in Oakland Hills. You know, if you grew up in Oakland Hills, you can't say, I grew up in Oakland. <laughs> anyway, all that to say, <laughs> all that to say, the Living Hope demographic is, is, is mixed. And in this demographic, there's all kinds of strange situations that New Philly will never face. That Pastor Benjamin is saying they have to face regularly throughout the year. But out of those more crazier situations comes more powerful testimonies. And so this is a powerful house right here. You know, it's, you know it's a powerful house when you can minister to not only the white collar, but the blue collar. And you got them sitting in the same service every week. And they have to learn to get along with each other. You know what I mean? The gospel is supposed to, s- to remove every form of division. You know, the Bible says that through the blood of Christ, he has removed the dividing wall of hostility. And back 2,000 years ago, there was a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And the gospel removes that dividing wall. But it doesn't stop between just Jew and Gentile. It goes further. To black and white. It goes further to Chinese American and Korean American. Between Korean American, back in the 90s, remember LA riots? Korean American and African American. You know, the gospel is supposed to remove that dividing wall of hostility. But unfortunately, in a lot of American churches, Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour. But here at Living Hope, it's different. It's because you have an African American pastor who preaches like he's white. <laughs> but, but has a sense of humor, a ghetto sense of humor. <laughs> and then you have a Korean-American woman. <laughs> she got a mix of black, Hispanic, everything. <laughs> but you guys are a powerful house. Living Hope, Living Hope is a powerful house. And, and Aaron and I, we are just so happy and thankful to be able to call you guys family. You know, we, of course, through Christ, the whole church, you know, the universal church, we're all brothers and sisters. You know, but, and we're commanded to love our fellow brothers and sisters. But, you know, like, you can love them, but you may not like them. You know what I mean? But living hope, I like you guys. Because we're, we're family. We're we're receiving the same spiritual lineage. And it's powerful what God is going to do through this church 
and also through New Philly, but also through what God will do as our churches come together and we mutually edify one another, as we learn, we humble ourselves and we learn from each other. You know, synergy. You know, one plus one equals three. That's a good picture of synergy. You know, we think one plus one equals two. But synergy tells us that when one plus one come together, it actually is able to produce exponentially more than when they just do those things separately and you add it up. And what God is doing right now, one word God was highlighting on this trip. I've been, I've been on a trip to America for the last two weeks. Right? We were in L.A. We did a retreat there. And then we went to Las Vegas. We did a revival service there. And then we were just here just hanging out with uh, Pastor Benjamin and Sonny. But one word the Lord kept highlighting, totally divine, is convergence. Everywhere I went, I was like, you know who? And then that person would be like, I heard you know him. I'd be like, yeah, I know him. How do you know him? And then that person would be like, well, I know him through this other person. Well, you know that person? And it was like all these like crazy connections that I couldn't have made happen. The other person couldn't have made happen. But God is bringing this convergence from a diversity of backgrounds. Churches that would have never talked to each other in the past. Right now, they're learning from each other. And it's happening especially among the young pastors. That's me, by the way. (laughs) Among the young age pastors, there is this incredible uh, speeding up of convergence. People are coming together, and the denominational walls... You know, they don't really apply to our generation, if you notice. You know, young, young Christians these days, the young generation, we have very little patience for denominational division. We're just like, don't we just all love Jesus? You know? That's, you know, why, why should we divide it? Why, why should we be divided, you know? And so this convergence is happening divinely right now. It's very exciting. And Living Hope, you're a part of that convergence. Now, let me, let me preach my message before I go too long here. Because this is like a professional wrestling match. i got to tag my partner in a moment. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat on the devil, give him a little suplex, you know, elbow drop, DDT. And then I'm, I'm going to tag my partner. And she, my Pastor Aaron's going to come in, and she's going to finish off the devil. You know what I mean? Put, her, put, her, put the devil under our feet, which is where he belongs. Amen? Turn to Matthew 26. I'm going to read in the NIV, it's the Bible that I brought with me. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46, whatever version you have, I want you to follow along. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. The context is the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, just just to let you all know, if you didn't graduate from college, it's all good. It's all good. And if, just in case you think I might discriminate or I'm just all about credentials, let me tell you, I became the lead pastor of New Philly without even having an MDiv degree. You know, I got into that position by God's favor, yeah. not because of my degree. I, don't, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a degree. I just got it like a month ago. <laughs> After six years of part-time studies while doing full-time ministry. And so I didn't even have that degree. You know, God gave it to me by, by his favor. And our Busan church plant, Busan's the city south of Seoul, all the way in the tip of uh, the peninsula, that is run by a guy who did not graduate from college. In fact, he was in and out of prison. And in fact, he can't even come back to America because 
the courts said, you got to come get out of this country and you are never to return. And he had a U.S. marshal escort him on an airplane all the way to Korea, gave him like an uh, envelope full of $1,000 and said, good luck, right? And that's our Pastor Caleb, our campus pastor of our Busan church plant. He has no formal training. He has no uh, seminary degree. But God has anointed him, appointed him. And so I just laid hands on that brother, trained him up, school of the Holy Spirit. And we sent him down, and he is prospering. Let me tell you something. He is prospering. Did he have to overcome some insecurity? Yeah, he did. But he overcame it. And he is, he's just ministering with confidence, with power. In fact, back in November, all of our church campuses, we had a leadership retreat. And the Sunday before the leadership retreat, the fire of God fell at Pusan first. Wow. So through this uneducated pastor, as he's preaching, the fire of God just fell on their Sunday service. Wow. Just a regular Sunday service. Yeah. Newcomers and all. Yeah. The fire of God fell and people yeah. were just on the ground. They're falling out of their chairs, getting hit by the power of God. Manifestations everywhere. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and, they, and the worship leader just kept on playing. Because he, he didn't know what to do. He just kept on playing. And the, and the Holy Spirit moved powerfully. Yeah, yeah. And then the following week at the leadership retreats, yeah. all our other campuses also received the fire of the Holy Spirit in the same way. Yeah. What's that tell you? Yeah. tells you that God loves to choose the weak things of the world yeah. to shame the strong. Yeah. The foolish things of the world yeah. to shame the wise yeah, yeah, yeah. so that no man can boast before him. Yeah. God loves to choose the underdog. Yeah. He loves to choose... The, those who appear uneducated, those who look like they shouldn't be in that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God loves to choose and ordain them to do mighty works because he gets amazing glory yeah. through those types of testimonies. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm not like just like this, you know, educated guy coming from outside. Like I'm, I grew up in Philly. Come on. <laughs> Y'all grew up with Fresh Prince, right? Yeah. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah. yeah, come on. All right, let me get back to my message. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 36. Here we go. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to these three, he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. 
And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We'll end there right there. In this passage, Jesus takes three of the twelve disciples, this intimate access he gives them. And Jesus is trying to stay strong. But before these three, he starts to break down. He allows his emotions to show. And it's not that Jesus was weak. Jesus was a strong man. Jesus was strong. It's not that he was weak, but he was being real about what he was about to go through. He wanted to show them how tough and how difficult the cross was really going to be. And Jesus takes them and says, look, I'm not asking for much. Just stay here and watch with me. I'm going to go over over there. I'm going to just pray. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, my question here tonight to y'all is, what does Jesus mean by keep watch? Keep watch with me. You know, oftentimes we call upon the Lord when we need him. When we need him to pull through. When we need a breakthrough. We need a prayer answer. We call upon the Lord when we need him. But did you know that sometimes God will call upon you when he needs you? In this passage, Jesus needed his three disciples. I just, look, I'm going to go through the cross. I'm determined. With joy, I'm going to go through the cross. But I just need a little bit of support because this is what I'm about to face is going to be tough. And this is real. And I'm going to go through it in the physical. It's not like I'm a ghost and I I don't actually feel, I only feel 20% of the pain. I'm going to be going through 100% of this pain and sorrow. Man, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed, I could die. That's the way he was talking. And he was trying to show the serious magnitude of what he was about to achieve. And he was like, man, just give me a little support. I need you. You ever go through something tough? You call up your friends. (laughs) What's what's wrong, Judy? What's wrong? What's wrong, Dennis? (laughs) I just just need you. All right, all right. I'm going to come over right now. Click. And you go and you be with your friend. Why? Because when you hear it in their voice, they need you. They need you to be with you. Now, Jesus, of course, he's God. He didn't really need them, need them. But this is also, it shows the reality of his incarnation. He was going through a real suffering at that moment, a real emotional agony. He couldn't just fast forward through the cross. He had to go through, he had to be fully present through all the pain. And he was fully present in that moment. And he was like, Look, y'all three, I've been sowing into you. I really trust you. This is really intimate, just an intimate request. Just keep watch with me. I ain't asking for much. Just keep watch with me. And he goes over and he prays. And he comes back. And what are the disciples doing? They are fast asleep. And so Jesus wakes them up. Jesus could have been like, oh, that's cute. You know, I guess they're tired, you know. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Let me just give them a little rest. I'm just going to go and pray. I'm going to deal with this by myself. No, Jesus woke them up. Say, hey, check it out. I need you. And Actually, it's not just I need you, but you need to stay awake for your sake. So can you just keep watch? 
get up and keep watch. He goes over and prays alone again. Comes back and they're asleep again. What does it mean to keep watch with Jesus? Well, one thing's for sure. We know that sleeping is not keeping watch. So what does it mean to keep watch? Did Jesus want the disciples to keep watch for the coyotes and wolves? Did he want them to look out for Judas? Oh, Judas is about to come any moment now. Can you, can you keep watch? If that punk shows up, you come over, you tell me. I mean, what does it mean by keep watch? I believe Jesus clarifies in verse 41. He says here in verse 41, watch and pray. Watch and pray. See, Jesus wasn't talking about keeping watch in the physical. He was talking about keeping watch spiritually. Knowing that this gospel account will be recorded one day and will have an application that's completely different from that local context. He's talking about spiritual watching. And these words are speaking to our generation today. Jesus says, watch and pray. 2,000 years ago, Jesus' heart was overcome with sorrow. Sorrow, emotion, just, he was just so overcome. And he's like, look, just keep watching, pray with me. But you know that right now, Jesus, the Bible says he is our chief intercessor at the right hand of the Father. He still makes intercession for us. And as he intercedes, as he looks out on the world, did you know that right now, Jesus feels emotion over the injustices he sees on the world? Over the brokenness he sees in your family? Jesus feels the emotion, the injustice that he sees in your workplace, at your school, in the lives of your friends and family members. He sees that. And he, he asks you, will you keep watch and pray? Will you feel what I'm feeling? I'm inviting you in. Keep watch and pray. You know, Jesus doesn't want to just accomplish his will on the earth in a very um, detached kind of way. He's looking for victory through his people. The very idea of an incarnation where Jesus, Son of God, became human flesh, right? That idea of incarnation, it continues today through the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Through the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us, we are Jesus incarnate today. I'm not talking about it in a blasphemous, heretical way, obviously. But we're talking about the incarnation. You know, it's far more powerful like, if Jesus could be on the earth today, you would think, oh, all the problems would be solved. That's not true. If Jesus will be incarnate through your life, and the church goes out and becomes the church, not only within the four walls here, but outside these four walls, if we would just incarnate Jesus wherever we are, the kingdom of God will advance much power- more powerfully, much more effectively, with greater velocity, than if Jesus, one Jesus, was incarnate today. Like the Terminator, he just showed up today somewhere in Boise, Idaho. And we're like, oh, Jesus is in Boise, Idaho. And everyone thinks, you know, that's the answer. No. The answer is, you got to manifest Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Jesus wants to accomplish his will for the earth today. He wants to accomplish it through you. But he doesn't want you to just accomplish it like a robot. He wants you to be compelled by the emotions of God, by the love of God. But the only way you're going to connect with his heart for what's going on is if you're watching and praying. You see, if only James or John or Peter, one of the three, if they, one of them just stayed awake and prayed, the father would have begun to show them what he is about to do through his son. And perhaps they wouldn't have all scattered like little scared little wimps when Judas and the, and, and, the, and the priests and the Roman guards came. Maybe they wouldn't have scattered like that. Maybe, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't it have been crazy if one of them just said, I ain't going nowhere, you can arrest me too. And the Roman guard, we'll arrest you too, punk. And, you know, and then, wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus got arrested along with about two other disciples? You know, that would have, if I was Jesus, I would be like, man, you got, man, I love y'all. You stuck with me. You said you would, and you, you did it. But that's because you, you were in the back. You were praying over there earlier. That's what gave you the power, the strength, the revelation to stick it through. But you see, nobody did that because nobody watched and prayed. They didn't know the heart of God. They didn't feel the emotions Jesus was feeling. They still had the conception that Jesus was going to come in and be a political ruler. They were just so stuck on that. And they just thought Jesus was having a mood swing. Little not knowing the true revelation of why he came. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, the disciples, they failed to keep watch before the hour of Jesus' crucifixion. Yeah. And when Jesus was captured, they all peaced out. And they left Jesus to be arrested alone. This is, ironically... Contrary to everything they confessed a few verses earlier. If you look in Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35, just the passage just earlier, you know what they're saying? Jesus tells them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die, I will never disown you, Jesus. I'm with you all the way to the end. And the Bible says, and the other disciples said the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, yeah, yeah, me too, Jesus. What Peter said, yeah, yeah. I will die for you, Jesus. Yeah. I'm with you yeah. all the way. <laughs> and then what happened just a couple hours later? <laughs> they all scattered. They all ran away. You see, the disciples were fully resolved to stick with Jesus and to not fall away. It's not like they hadn't made up their mind. They were singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, they were singing that song. But yet when the time of testing came, they were singing a different song. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, 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 nah. Hey, goodbye. I mean, they were peaced out. Time to say goodbye. I don't, I'm sorry. I like singing sometimes. They all left. Why? Why did they all leave when they had made up in their minds and they had confessed out of the overflow of that heart? I will stick with you, Jesus, even if I have to die. Why, why, why 
did they fall away when the time of testing came? It's because they could not stay awake and keep watch. You see, what has happened in the Garden of Gethsemane is written down for our benefit. To serve as a warning for a latter generation that Jesus will call upon to do the same thing that he asked of from Peter, John, and James. That kind of intimate request, God is looking today to our generation of believers. Will you keep watch with me? Well, Jesus, I'll do it. I'm resolved. I'm committed. I'm all in. I've decided I'm going to follow you. No turning back. And Jesus is like, all right, I believe you. I know you're singing those songs. I know you made up your mind. I believe you. But look, practically, this is what you need to do if you're actually going to follow through. It's not about making these spontaneous confessions, these dramatic confessions, singing these amazing lyrics. It's about living out the life. Talk is cheap, y'all. You know, you know Jesus, Peter told Jesus, I will die for you. Even if all fall away, even if all these 11 suckers, they all fall away, I will die for you, Jesus. And Jesus was like, man, Peter, you got it. Man, I really, no, Jesus' talk is cheap. He, he, didn't, he didn't commend him. He was like, look, you do all the talk, but you got to walk it out. You got to follow through on what you're about to say. It's not about just confessing it or singing it. It's about actually following through. And a very practical revelation here of how we ought to follow through is Jesus' simple instruction. Watch and pray. The economies of the world right now are shaking. Ever since 2008, the economic collapse, the whole economies of the world have been shaking. And in fact, economists that study the economy, they will tell you that it looks like things are getting better. But in fact, if you watch certain economies of the world and you watch what's going on in Europe, things haven't really gotten better. We treated the symptoms, but not the disease. Especially America. With the huge government debt crisis, you know? We can't raise the debt ceiling. We can't raise the debt ceiling. There's a reason why you don't want to raise the debt ceiling. Why? Because you don't want to keep raising that debt ceiling, making the debt bigger, and just numbing yourself to a debt that you never really intend to repay and just pass it down to your children. That kind of poor stewardship in the government has not been dealt with at all by all the politics and fighting. And people, after a while, they started just blaming the Republicans and saying, why are you being so stubborn? Just just raise the debt ceiling. It was not a politics issue. It was a stewardship issue. And economists will tell you, America didn't didn't get it. They didn't get it. They just passed it off, and and they're just faced it again in the future, and they want to deal with it in the same way. And actually, that's actually going to really hurt the economy, not only of America, but of the world. There's a real chance that the dollar can collapse. You know, China has bought up so many dollars. You guys know, you guys know this? I didn't know this, but I have a good friend of mine. He's, he's a business major. I, I was also a business major, but I didn't pay attention so much in my finance classes. <laughs> but he's a business major that was really working in the world for a while. And he tells me China has bought up so many of the U.S. government bonds, just, just cold cash. They've stored it away. And they do that so that China is always the exporter. You know, you keep their artificially keeping their currency low 
you know, that Chinese yuan should be actually a lot higher. But they're keeping that artificially low so that America will just continue to consume what's being exported out of China and that jobs will continue to be sucked out from America into China. I'm sorry, I don't mean to like feed any kind of Chinese hostility here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the world's economies are shaking right now. I don't think you really understand that we are like really close to economic collapse that will touch off like, like all over the world. Actually, Korea is one of the few countries that I think will be somewhat safe because Koreans are all about cash. They're very driven by cash. So if you, you want to get an apartment in Seoul, you got to have at least minimum like $20,000 in cash. That's the down payment. We don't talk about rent until you have $20,000 in cash that you will submit as your down payment. I mean, so it's a very cash-driven economy, and so it, it has a different dynamic than America, which is very credit-based. Anyway, economies of the world are shaking. Civil wars are raging in different countries of the world. Yeah. Just because it doesn't touch America doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many people are dying in horrific ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, even in Syria, the, what's going on in Syria has just lasted so long, but so many people are suffering there. Yeah. The weather is laying great destruction all over the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, just a couple of tsunamis in the last 10 years in Asia. Wiped away just hundreds of thousands of people in a moment. Isn't that crazy? One of them was my NYU classmate, a a girl that I went to college with. She was vacationing in Phuket, had this really great job with Morgan Stanley. And she was just vacationing on one of the hotel pools. The tsunami came, and she didn't stand a chance. And there's all these natural disasters happening, even in America. I don't know if you guys watch the news regularly. But ever since Aaron and I have been living in Korea, we download the free podcasts of NBC News. So there's like a nightly one, and then there's the morning one. And they're pretty much the same thing. But anyway, we like to watch uh, both of them. And constantly throughout the year, there have been natural disasters happening in America. Yeah, yeah. It, with intensity and frequency at a level that meteorologists have not seen before. <laughs> and the only way they explain it is, oh, I, we think that this has happened before. We were taking records. You know, this has always been going on, so we don't have to panic. But the reality is, it's intensifying. The tornadoes, the droughts, yeah. the flooding. I've never seen New York City flooded like it was last year. Yeah. Was it last year or the year before? Anyway, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, it affected people all over Manhattan. Yeah. The world is shaking. Anxiety in the world is increasing right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as the church... We ought not to fall into that same anxiety and fear when these things take place. We ought to instead be shining brighter and brighter as thick darkness covers the entire earth. But we cannot be that church that shines brighter and brighter unless we are a church that prays. A church that is alert, awake, and in prayer. If we're not doing what Jesus asked James, John, and Peter to do in the Garden of Gethsemane, if we're not doing that as a church regularly, as these things, these shakings happen in the world, we're going to be tempted to fall into the same anxiety and fears as the rest of the world. And then when the world provides certain solutions, we're going to flock to the same solutions that the world has. You know, all these, like, prophecies of an antichrist and, like, you know, all these different figures, you know. You know, I haven't figured out all the details, but you read the book of Daniel and you read the book of Revelation, And there are some pretty strong clues that there is going to be some kind of worldwide government figure 
that people are going to look to. How on, uh, how on earth will Argentinians and the French and uh, the Somalis and people of all over the world, why would they look to one global leadership figure? Well, it only makes sense if there's a global crisis yeah. and there's so much anxiety yeah. and somebody rises up and says, I got a solution for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could think only a crisis would actually create that kind of government figure to be, to be exalted. But, you know, for those churches that are not watching and praying in the last days, yeah. they're just going to have the label of church wow. without the Holy Spirit, yeah. without Christ. Yeah. We are seeing that already. Why? Because certain denominations, what are they, what's the only thing they argue about? They just argue about politics, political issues. That's the only thing they're arguing about. You know that. You know, that, that church is probably not full of people who are believing the Bible and, and in prayer regularly that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Most spirit-filled people, they believe the Bible, and they, and they hold it up as the uh, final authority of God, of God. But people who are not of that mindset, they argue about all kinds of things. So you see already certain churches. Jesus left those churches a while ago. In fact, Jesus, if, they, if he, Jesus showed up at those churches, he will not be welcome. They'll be like, get out, you intolerant. Person, you, I'm Jesus. You know, they just kick him out. As a church, we are to shine brighter and brighter. It says in Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. I think that's a prophetic picture of what the church is destined for in the latter times. We're not supposed to stockpile weapons and hide out in Waco, Texas somewhere. Afraid of the FBI and afraid of, you know, we're not supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to shine brighter and brighter until full day. What does full day mean? That's Jesus. Full day is Jesus. When Jesus arrives, you're not going to need the moon and the stars. and all this. It's Jesus who's providing that light. The, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Every day God gives us a reminder. This is what the church is supposed to look like. 5 a.m., get up. Look outside. Yeah. You, see the, you see the dawn coming? Yeah. You see the light coming? Yeah. You see it getting brighter? Yeah. You see it getting brighter? You get, what? oh, sunrise! <laughs> you can turn off the lights now. Because it's, it's the light has flooded yeah. everywhere. Yeah. That's, I believe, the picture of the church in the last yeah. days. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, dispensational eschatology, yeah. you don't know what that means. It just means like, this teaching uh, that is popularized by left-behind books and certain uh, so, uh, media outlets. And um, yeah, I don't believe in a, what's called a pre-tribulation rapture. That's what the left-behind movies and books will tell you. <laughs> that in the last days, before Jesus returns, he's going to rapture out all the church. And then there's going to be cars that are empty. Driver's seats will be empty. Planes will be empty. Babies will all be gone. And just people's clothes will be left behind. That's why they call it left behind, because you can't take your clothes with you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but this pre-tribulation rapture idea, very popularized by a guy named John Nelson Darby. He's, a, he's the father of dispensationalism. Uh, this kind of teaching has really pervaded, uh, infiltrated a lot of different denominations, including the Pentecostal denomination. So a lot of Christians, for granted, they believe it. Yeah. But here's the thing. If it's not true, you're in a lot of trouble. Because you haven't prepared your heart to go through the tribulation because you had a doctrine that told you you're going to be raptured out of the tribulation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so if, look, if I'm wrong, 
I'm good. <laughs> I left my clothes behind. I'm up in the sky. Jesus, here I come. I'm sorry I was wrong about that. You know, I guess I weren't going through tribulation anyway. All right, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm good. But if you're wrong, if you believe in a preacher rapture and you're wrong, oh, snap, we got the tribulation to go through. And you have not ready, you have not watched and prayed, you haven't kept your oil lamps burning, you haven't done the part, you've just been trying to live life and just be a happy Christian, and you, you weren't ready for the time that is to come. There will be intense despair in those days, Jesus talks about. But here's the thing. Although there will be intense wars and despair in different pockets of the world, the earth, <laughs> there will also be great harvest, great victory. The church standing up by the word of their testimony, overcoming the attacks of the enemy, getting brighter and brighter, working, moving in power and signs and miracles, bringing multitudes of Muslims to Christ, bringing multitudes of, of, uh, of, uh, of the uh, Tibetan monks to Christ. You think as the devil pours out his attacks in the end days that God is going to back off? The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until day. But for us to experience that destiny, for us to be more and more victorious as the world gets darker and darker, no matter what persecutions come to the world, for the church to stand up and be, and be faithful to the end, for all those things to happen, we have got to watch and pray. Watch and pray. I'm just going to, before I pass the mic over to Pastor Aaron, I'm going to talk about three ways why watching is important according to the Gospels. Okay, number one, it's in this passage. Number one, why is watching important? Watching is important because number one, it helps you to avoid falling into temptation. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Well, why is that such a big deal? You see, if you're falling into temptation over and over again, you're actually not doing a good job of watching and praying. You know why? Because you're, you're looking at you know, lustful images on the Internet for two hours, and the whole time you're fighting it, so it actually ends up being a lot longer than if you just dived into it, you know? And you just spend about two hours on lots of images, and then you feel guilty. So you pray, and you spend about 45 minutes praying to be cleansed of the sins you just committed. And then you just feel good, and, then, and, then, and now you, all your energy is gone. You don't want to pray about the church. You don't want to pray about the nations. You're not actually doing a good job watching and praying when you fall into temptation over and over again. But if you will watch and pray, it will actually help you to avoid temptation. If you're doing it regularly... Not only when the church schedules it in, but it's important when the church schedules it in. You want to show, it, show up to those times as well. Yeah, yeah. But even just scheduling it in your own, own personal life. When you're doing that, that's going to help you to avoid temptation. And when you're avoiding temptation, that's when you're a good watchman. Think about that. You know, in, in Philly, one of my friends, he posted a Facebook picture once. And he took a picture of a security guard at an apartment complex. And he said... Uh, nothing like good Philadelphia security, right? And took a picture. It's, it's, it's of a guy and he's just sleeping. <laughs> but whether the security guard is sleeping or whether he's distracted by some fine woman crossing the street, whatever, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
If you're falling into temptation, you're not doing a good job as a watchman. So actually, keeping watch and praying will help you to f- avoid falling into temptation. That's what Jesus said. Second is Luke 21.8. Jesus replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. Mark 13.5. Jesus said to them, watch out so that no one deceives you. Matthew 7.15. Watch out for false prophets for they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Why is watching important? Number two, to avoid deception. You want to walk in truth and clarity? Then you got to be watching and praying at all times. It will help you to avoid deception. You know what a lot of churches, they think the way to avoid deception is? Is by slandering every church and Christian movement that doesn't agree with their set of doctrinal creeds. And so they create a ministry around slamming and slandering other ministries. Joel Osteen is heretical. You know, and, they, and people are like, oh, Joel Osteen, he's popular. Oh, Joel, wait, Joel Osteen is heretical. And they build ministries based on slandering other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And they think that's the best way to avoid deception. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, you know, hey, you guys, you guys have to watch out for all these, you know, like, like false teachings and, and, and watch out for brothers and sisters who twist the word. Jesus is saying, look, if you would just watch out and learn how to pray and be a good watchman, it's going to help you to avoid deception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're beholding truth himself, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, that's deception is not going to be a vulnerability for you. Amen. Third thing, in Mark 13, there's a parable. I'm going to have to turn there and summarize it for you. Mark 13, verse 32. Jesus says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts the servants in charge, each with his own assigned task, and tells the, the, the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Luke, I mean Mark chapter 13, verse 32. The third thing why watching is important, well, number one was to avoid falling into temptation. Two is to avoid deception. Third is to be found faithful when Christ returns. Do you want the return of Christ to be a joyful event or a solemn, sad one? But only those who are found faithful when the master returns you know, if you're a lazy servant and you're kicking your fellow servants and you can't get along with them and you're not mopping the floor, you're not doing nothing, and the master suddenly comes back, you're not going to be a happy servant. But if you've been doing what you are supposed to do and you, you've paid attention to what the master wants and you, you're doing and serving in a way to please him, when he returns, your face is going to be full of radiance and joy. To avoid temptation, to avoid deception, and to be found faithful at the return of Christ. Prayer is an essential aspect of watching. You see, watching that Jesus asks of us is not a physical watching. It's a spiritual one. 
And in order for your eyes, your spiritual eyes to be open, alert, and looking at the right things and discerning and interpreting them the right way, you got to be connected to Jesus through prayer. You know, at New Philly, our church, we pray. And one of the big things that God has highlighted for our church is North Korea. So back in 2003, I got to lead a campus crusade missions trip along the borders of North Korea and China and North Korea. And I went, I, I shook a North Korean soldier's hand secretly uh, in the bushes. We caught him over. I said, hey, we got some cigarettes. All right, don't judge us, all right? But we got some cigarettes and cookies. Come over here. You know, we just want to have a conversation. So the, so the North Korean soldier came out real slow. And he's like, let me see the cigarettes. And so we threw it to him. And he's like, all right, all right, what do you want to talk about? We, we, just, we just sat with him, and we talked for like maybe like five minutes. We just asked him, how old are you? To me, he looked like he was 42 years old. Hands were like leather. It felt like leather. He said, I'm only 19. And, 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 and during that trip, my heart just broke for North Korea. It was like Jesus was inviting me in and saying, my heart burns for North Korea. Can you keep watch and pray? Can you keep watch for this, over this nation like I am? I'm inviting you in because I'm about to do something. But I want my people connected to what I'm about to do so they can be ready, so they can execute and do the work when the, the doors open. And so since that trip in 2003, I've just had a burning for North Korea. And so when I became the pastor of New Philly, one of the big emphasis I made at our church is we we're going to pray for this peninsula. And we're not going to stop at the 38th parallel. We're going to pray all the way to the top. From the top of Mount Bektu, which is the highest point in Korea, to the, to the top of Mount Hala, which is in Jeju-do, which is the second highest peak in Korea. North and south. Highest peak, second highest peak from Mount Bektu to Mount Hala. May the name of the Lord be praised. So we pray for reunification. And the amazing thing that's been happening is as we watch and pray, we have this thing called a joint prayer meeting every, every once a month, third Saturday of the month. We gather people from other English ministries in Seoul, and we gather them together, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes so powerfully. You know, I'm all for being seeker sensitive, but when you go to a prayer meeting, you don't have to worry about that. If a seeker wants to come in, you're welcome, but look, we ain't going to cater this for you. This is for Jesus. We're praying and seeking his heart. And so at the joint prayer meeting, we, we, don't, we don't care about the seekers. I mean, we care about them, but it ain't for them, right? It's for the people of God. And so we pray, we pray hard, and the Holy Spirit shows up powerfully. And people just get baptized by by the Holy Spirit for the first time at these meetings. But that's not the highlight. The highlight is people have caught that same burning for North Korea. I see every member of my church burning with that same fire. And they just start to weep. Grown men start to cry. Black men that are at our church start crying for this nation that they didn't even know existed yeah. before they arrived in North Korea. Yeah. Um, arri- arri- arrived in Seoul. <laughs> yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. But none of that, the heart of God will not be manifested in the people of God if they were not watching and praying. Yeah. And I believe as we've been watching and praying faithfully, God is saying, I'm about to open up the doors. Amen. And he's already working within North Korea. That's the awesome thing. We meet people all the time. That will tell us we're doing work at the ground level with the poor. And then we meet uh, another person that says we're actually doing work at the high government ranking level. There's a church in Toronto. I don't know if some of you know. 
And they actually do work with the high-level ranking officials. They have favor with the high-ranking government officials. And they go into the top schools, and they teach the top students of Pyongyang, and they teach them English. And they have an English camp four times a year. And one of our college student disciples that was at our college ministry, she's one of the regular teachers that goes in. You, you think that's, that's crazy. That's, Dennis Rodman's the only one that goes into North Korea. No, he ain't. No, he's not. God's working there. God's working powerfully. And I believe he's bringing about a peaceful reunification where the North Korean church that's been hidden and persecuted all these years, they're going to come out into the light. And we're going to have to bow before them and honor them and be like, could you teach us? You know, if you think about North Korean believers, although they don't have a copy of the Bible, a lot of them, they probably know the scriptures better than you do. You know why? Because they have to memorize it. They have pages lying around. Somebody got somebody tattletale on them. So they got to, all right, go memorize this tonight. Six hours, let's do this, and then burn it. They have it written on their hearts, entire books of the Bible. They pray like there's no tomorrow. And I believe that as doors open up, we're going to see a beautiful church arising out of North Korea that's going to merge and unify with the South Korean church. And, and, and God's going to use Korea to touch the nations. I really believe that. I believe that's what God has revealed in the place of prayer. This is not wishful thinking. Here's the thing. Living hope. God wants to do amazing things here in the Bay Area. There are prophecies about UC Berkeley that were like somewhat fulfilled but didn't happen all the way. And people are like, oh, maybe that person just, did, they were off. No, they weren't off. Yeah, yeah. It's just that there were not enough people watching and praying consistently yeah. to bring about the will of God in that place. So when the time of testing came and the attacks of the devil came, they all ran like little punks. I'm not saying you see Berkeley Christians ran like little punks, but that's kind of like essentially what happened. God was not able to fulfill the fullness of the prophecy because there were not enough people watching and praying. So I believe right now he's raising up people. We're going to watch and pray. And I believe praying is not for just the intercessory team. Yeah. Oh, I despise that. Yeah. When I go to a church and, and the pastor says, oh, my church prays. Yeah. We have an intercessory team, intercession team of, you know, 20 women. They're all just women. <laughs> and, oh, they pray. Oh, they do all the praying for the entire church. And I'm like, no, I despise that. I got my, I got my inspiration from a pastor, a white pastor in Brooklyn, named Pastor Jim Cimbala. And when I read his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, he said the lead pastor needs to be the uh, the prayer leader of the church. The lead pastor has got to lead the way and pray and also lead the prayer topics. And so ever since I've been inspired by him, that's what I do. I personally make sure I'm leading the prayer meetings all the time. And I'm inspiring other of my pastors to also rise up and lead. Living hope. Ark. And other churches that have come, living water. I see some of you here. This is the hour in which we have to watch and pray. This is not the hour to sleep. When the nations are shaking, that's not the time to sleep. The heart of God is raging. This is the time to watch and pray. So will you watch and pray with Jesus? Will you come out to the prayer meetings even when you don't feel like it? Even when you think you're not going to get nothing out of it because you know what? You realize the prayer meeting is not about you. 
It's not about you getting a blessing. It's not about you being encouraged in your faith. It's about you seeking the face of Jesus, gaining his heart, and praying out the will of God. What does Jesus do in the, here in the garden of Gethsemane? What does he keep doing? He prays, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. My flesh is weak right now. I just want to give up. I, Father, I, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And that's what happens in Gethsemane prayer meetings all over the world. When the people of God will sacrifice and show up, they pray, not my will, but yours be done. Do you want to see incredible things happen in the Bay Area and into the nations? Well, here's the thing. If you're not watching and praying, it's going to pass by you like a truck on the highway. Let me tell you something about truck on the highway. If you're standing on the, on the, on the curb of a highway and you watch a truck go by, that thing, boom, just rushes right by you. It looks like it's going 1,000 miles per hour. Now, here's the thing. You get into a car, and you drive right next to that truck. It looks like the truck's not even moving. What's the difference? The difference is the velocity at which you are traveling. If you're not praying, you're not moving. And if you're not moving, and the will of God passes by in the nations, everything's going to look like a blur. Oh, God, I'm so overwhelmed. Lord! Yeah, let your will be done. And and you just get slapped in the face and you don't know what's going on. But if you will get into your prayer movement and in your church's prayer movement and you're nurturing your own personal prayer, you're moving right along at the velocity of the kingdom. And when you move with the velocity of the kingdom, you don't feel like everything's passing you by. You feel like you're actually running ahead. That's what Jesus wants for his people to be. He wants them to be forerunners. Amen. Amen. I gotta give the mic to my my wife. My wife's gonna she gonna she gonna wrap this up powerfully. Watch, Amen. watch, watch this. All right, Pastor Aaron's gonna come up. Yeah, it's a joy watching my husband preach. He's a powerful preacher. Amen. <laughs> no, I love it. It's amazing. Sometimes I squirm, but I still love it. You know, the call of God for us right now is to watch and to pray. And the reason why the call of God is to watch and to pray is because God is doing a resurrecting power. He's releasing the spirit of resurrection amongst us. But if we don't understand the call to watch and to pray, we're going to be deceived by thinking that things are getting destroyed. Here's the thing. For the disciples, when they saw Jesus going to the cross, they probably were tempted to think defeat came. Jesus has been defeated. In fact, Peter, one one of his most faithful disciples, denied Jesus three times. Isn't it interesting? Jesus woke Peter and and James and John three times. Three opportunities to watch and to pray. Three times they fell, and three times he denied Christ. And here in the midst of seeing Jesus, who was supposed to be this new king, this new you know, figure that was going to bring in the victory and the rule and reign of Israel again. On the cross, there was probably a temptation to think, oh my gosh, we've been defeated. But what they didn't understand was resurrection was coming. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of resurrection was coming. But the only way that they would have such clarity is if they watched and they prayed. God wants to do a resurrecting work here in this church. 
He wants to do a resurrecting work in your life. He wants to do a resurrecting work in North Korea. He wants to do a resurrecting work in the nations. But we got to watch and we pray and pray. Otherwise, we may, all we may see is defeat. You see a, a lot of people, even Christians, all they see is what the devil's doing. So focused on what the devil's doing. But it's the people that watch and pray. That's the people that know, God, no, we're not being defeated. You're setting things up. You're setting things up for resurrection, power to be released. Isn't that interesting? Watch and pray. Those two words going hand in hand. The truth is when we pray is when we see. When we pray, when we move in prayer is when clarity comes. When we pray, it means we spiritually, we see. See, the kingdom people, we have to live by faith. We got to see by faith. Not by, we got to live by faith and not by sight. What that may, means is we got to live by prayer. We got to see through prayer, and we can't walk around seeing through our natural eyes. If we look at our situations, our circumstances, what's going on in this world, with our natural eyes, we're walking blind. But when we move in the power and the spirit of prayer, that's when we see. That's kingdom sight. That's kingdom clarity. When when we feel confused, God, what are you doing right now? God is saying, watch and pray. Come to me in prayer and I will show you. This is beyond intercession. Intercession, we're talking about revelation. When you see something is being revealed, God is wanting to reveal his heart to us. Not my will, but your will. What is your will? God wants to reveal that. That's through prayer. And I just feel like God is stirring something up, both personally and, more importantly, I feel like the word for this church is corporately. To come together, to watch and to pray, not just to intercede on what God has already promised. This is something Pastor Daniel says over and over. You know, a lot of messages I hear him say, man, if we, did, if we stopped praying about what God already promised us, yeah. we'd run out of things to pray for. <laughs> Lord, give me provision. I already promised you provision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, give me the food to eat. I already promised you food to eat. God is inviting us to another level yeah. of prayer, a deeper level, a more sophisticated level, a more mature level of prayer. And that's the prayer of not just intercession, but revelation revelation, to intercede through revelation. And these are the examples that my husband was giving. When you see by sight, you see economy shaking. When you see by sight, you see no hope in North Korea. When you see by sight, you see shaking in your own family, breaking in your own family, attacks in your own family. But when you get on your knees and you begin to contend for the revelation of God and what he's doing, now you're moving in kingdom sight, kingdom clarity, and you begin to see, God, you're about to resurrect. God, you're about to bring reconciliation. God, you're about to release peace. God, you're about to do something powerful in our midst, and I will not be shaken by what I see in natural means. This is powerful. Ultimately, What Jesus was doing here with his disciples was he was inviting them into a place of intimacy. Intimacy. When you meet someone that sees the way that you see, there's a connection. 
When we begin to see how God sees, when we begin to see God the way that he is, who he is, his nature, his character, his power, his love, his steadfastness, his faithfulness, when we begin to see him, there's intimacy. We experience intimacy with God. God is inviting us beyond our problems, beyond our struggles. He's inviting us into revelation intimacy and from that place man that's where we begin to establish and decree what god is doing and that's when we see the manifestation of the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven that's That's powerful and there's a place for corporate intercession god is stirring up hunger already living hope is already seeing that god is stirring up a hunger for corporate intercession Corporate prayer, coming together as one body and together watching and praying. All together seeing, God, what are you doing? Where are you? How are you moving? What are you revealing? What's the season? What's going on? If we miss that opportunity, we're going to be deceived about our seasons. We're not going to understand what God is moving, how God is moving and what he's doing. This is a new level that I believe God is taking us to. He's getting us to lay it all down for the resurrection power. And I believe that we got to see resurrection power, that we're calling for resurrection power, that we're hungering for resurrection power in our own lives, in the church, beyond the church. We're calling for the power of the gospel. We want to see it manifest But God is saying, watch and pray. See, when you move in clarity, that's when you avoid temptation. When you move in clarity, that's when you avoid deception. When you move in clarity, that's how you can be found faithful. It's because you're seeing. Have you ever been blindfolded and you try to walk a certain path? You know how difficult that is? You stump constantly stumbling and falling. That's so many of us in our Christian walks continuously stumbling and falling because we're walking blind because we refuse to walk into the place of clarity, which is through watching and praying. And as a church, we can't be going blind. God, what are you doing? What are you doing together? We got to come together, watch and pray, see who God is, see what he's doing, and then begin to understand, wow, God, this is how you're moving. When you operate on that level, you can't be afraid. When Peter denied Christ, you know why he denied Christ? Not because he didn't love Jesus. Not because he didn't believe in Jesus. It's because he was afraid. He was filled with fear. Fear gripped his heart. We overcome fear with the revelation of God. We overcome fear with being able to see. See who he is and what he's doing. That's prayer. To pray is to see. Think about that. Mm -hmm. To pray is to see. Mm -hmm. Not to pray is to be blind. But to pray is to see. Mm -hmm. That's why it's watch and pray. You know, there's a story in 2 Kings with prophet Elisha. And he was with his servant. And there was an army coming against them. And literally, with their natural eyes, they saw horses and chariots. And the servant looks to Elijah and is like, what are we going to do? He was so afraid, filled with fear about the enemy coming against him. And Elijah, what did he do? He prayed. 
Watch this. His response was, then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes, referring to his servant, that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Sometimes as a church, we feel like enemy coming against us. Sometimes in your family, you think the enemy, you just feel the enemy coming against you. When you look with your natural eyes, you see problem after problem, issue after issue, backsliddenness after stumbling, after sin, after all this. You just see the horses and chariots of the enemy coming against you. But what does Elisha do? He said, pray. He prayed and the servant's eyes was opened and fear disappeared. The response of fear completely evaporated and the servant was now able to see that God's horses and chariots of fire, come on, was surrounding them. That's the revelation that some of us need in this room. That we got horses and chariots of fire around the enemy that's coming against us in our life. And God is just desiring and he is wanting the church to wake up, to watch, and to pray, to see that God is already overcome. To see that God's about to do a resurrecting work in your family. To see that God is going to do a resurrecting work in living hope. You know, I feel like God's resurrecting even dreams of living hope. Things that you guys have prophesied about. Things that you guys have really believed. Destinies. And you feel like it's been dying. You feel like the devil's already done a destructive work. But God is about to resurrect those very visions. Those very promises. But he's saying you got to watch and pray. You got to watch and pray. It's an invitation. That's all that God put on Pastor Christian in my heart is to lay out an invitation. Just to lay it out. Guess what? An invitation, one of the best invitations that we could ever receive for the most incredible intimacy that we can ever experience. To encounter and come into the revelation of God like we've never seen before. We got to watch and we got to pray. And I just feel like God wants to stir up a fresh commitment in this house because he's doing a prophetic work. This message is going out because it's, he's getting ready resurrection. He's getting ready the gospel. He's getting ready to bring the dead things back to life. He's getting ready to release life over the dry areas of not only your heart, but about the promises that God has for this house. But the response, our response needs to be to watch and to pray. Come on, I want you guys to just close your eyes. And you know, when we, when we get cell phones, cell phones are constantly getting upgraded, aren't they? From iPhone to iPhone, you know, whatever. Now we're up to iPhone 5, C and S, I don't know, I can't keep, Galaxy, you know, whatever. Cell phone, this means of communication, just in the natural, is constantly getting updated. We're getting better at staying connected with one another. But you know, I feel like God is also wanting to upgrade our communication with him as well. 
that there's an upgrade of prayer, there's an upgrade for intercession, there's an upgrade of revelation that God wants to release to you and I. Some of you guys feel like you're carrying the old school phone when it comes to communicating with God. You know, you feel like, man, you, it's the static. All you hear is static. You hear me? Do you hear me? Can you hear me? You feel like this constant disconnection. Sometimes you hear and sometimes you don't. But God is bringing you into just clearly hearing his voice. Constant, full connection with who, what he's saying and how he's moving and what he's releasing and the revelation that he's pouring out. I believe that God wants to release an upgrade here in this house. Living hope, the ark, living water, whatever community that you're coming from. God wants to upgrade the corporate cell phone, the corporate intercession, the corporate prayer. Because he's getting ready to do something powerful. He's getting ready to do something huge. The devil thought that he won when Jesus died on the cross. But little did he know that Jesus was paying the price for the greatest victory ever. Lasting victory. And so I want to give an opportunity for those who want to answer the call to commit. To make a commitment to corporate prayer at your house, whatever church you're from. A commitment to corporate prayer. Sometimes praying, you know, prayer meetings, it's like when we're available. Okay, I'll go. I'm free that week. I'll go. I have nothing else to do. Now, I'm talking about making it a priority. I'm talking about instilling it as something you cannot miss because you need to walk with sight, because you want to walk with clarity, because you need to see what God is doing and how he's moving and what he's revealing about himself at this hour. If you want to commit to corporate prayer, believing that God is going to release an upgrade in your spiritual cell phone, Just let that stir in your heart. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Can we just begin to pray and ask, give a moment. I'll give you guys a moment to just respond. Come on, begin to cry out. God wants to elevate your prayer life. Come on, he wants to take you to the next level of prayer. Watching and praying.